Welcome to Bangalore Revival Center. Here we dream revival and serve people with love. Today, Pastor Priji continues to teach from the series The Gospel According to Paul, where he teaches from the book of Romans. In this sermon, Pastor Priji is teaching from Romans 8 on how the Holy Spirit has freed us from the power of sin and hence leading us into life and peace. Stay tuned. Let's go into Romans chapter 8. In this season we have been studying the importance of gospel the importance of the good news of Jesus Christ the importance of understanding the gospel in its entirety so often we have limited our understanding of the gospel to just one or two things but this season we've been just studying through the book of Romans to try and understand what is it that the Lord wants us to uh, know about the uh, the gospel what is it that the lord wants us to understand about the good news what is it that the lord wants us to understand about the cross what is it that the lord wants us to understand about living a life that will please god so we are in chapter 8 we just finished chapter 7 a couple of weeks back and we finished at this point where paul asked who then will deliver me you remember that verse he he's talking about a fight a struggle that happens in his in his physical realm a struggle that happens between the man who is trained by the law and a a mind that is trained by the spirit a flesh and and his spirit is in battle all the time he knows what is the right thing to do and yet he is not able to do the right thing that he is supposed to do he knows this is not something that i should be doing and yet he ends up doing the same thing that he should not be doing and touching and we see that struggle and then he finishes by saying who then will deliver me from this wretched life and he finishes by saying thank god the answer is in christ Jesus. Yes. So now we are going to take that that is the context. Paul is saying Jesus is the answer. Paul is saying Jesus is the solution. And now we are going to understand how Jesus is the answer. How Jesus is the solution. Are you ready? Let's read Romans chapter 8 and verse 1 together. 1 2 3 go. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus i hope you rem- remember that sin it uses god's word to keep us in slavery you remember that we learned about how sin would use the instructions the commands that god gave us when god said the day that you eat of this fruit you will die sin used that command to lure us to sin and after we sinned and after we disobeyed and after we ate of the fruit the same person now tried to keep us away from god tried to keep us away from a relationship with him by saying now you're not worthy of him by speaking accusatory condemning words and those were the condemning words that made adam and eve go into hiding now apostle paul says Now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. 
So Paul is saying, because I have a relationship with Jesus now, I don't have to live in condemnation. I don't have to subject myself to the accusatory voice of the enemy. I'm free from that condemnation. I'm free from the voice of the enemy. I'm free from every negative thing the enemy has been speaking over my life for all these years. Verse 2, he says, And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. What does it say? Because you belong to Jesus. How many of you know that you belong to Jesus? Something happened when you received Jesus into your life. It was a transfer of ownership. You know, when you buy a second-hand vehicle, you have to sign a, a paper with the first person who owned it. And then you're saying, from now onwards, this car or this, uh, you know, vehicle, it now belongs to me. It used to belong to you till now, but now it belongs to me. To tomorrow, if you see it parked somewhere, you cannot come and try taking it to your home. Because now this vehicle is in my name. So unless I give you permission, you cannot use this vehicle. Now you and I, we, our ownership has been transferred from the devil into the hands of God when we got saved. Now you and I, we don't belong to this world. We don't belong to the enemy. We belong to Jesus. And he says, because, everybody says, because. Because you belong to him, there is a power of the life-giving Holy Spirit on the inside of you. And that Holy Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Now we've been talking about how we are not enslaved to sin. How we are not enslaved to the power of flesh. How we should not even be in bondage to the law. Here, Apostle Paul says, this is how you do it. You do it by tapping into the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. He, he is a life-giving Holy Spirit. He's a life-giving personality. And what does he do? He is the one who sets you free from the power of sin. Any one of us who have ever tried to be free of sin without the power of the Holy Spirit, you know that we've been a failure. The only way we can be free from the power of sin, we can be free from the power of death, we can be free from the power of the law is by being transformed, by being by filled, by, by being led, by being driven by the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about this power in a bit. Let's read verse 3. It says, the law of Moses was unable to save us. Why? Because of the weakness of our sinful nature. The more that we uh, were given a law, the more we wanted to sin. You remember that? We, we, we read about that last time. The law will provoke that desire inside of us, arouse that desire. In, and till now you didn't even know that this was sin. But the moment the law is given saying, oh, you should not covet your neighbor's goods. Automatically the desire to covet your neighbor's goods is, is, is uh, birthed inside of you. So he says, so the law of Moses was not able to make you perfect. He was not able to set you free. The law of Moses was not able to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. We have a sinful nature because of which the law of Moses couldn't help us. So God did what the law could not do. 
He sent his own son in a body like the bodies that we sinners have. You remember, what, what, did, what did it say in, in, in the previous verse? It says, verse 2, it says, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed us from the power of sin that leads to death. Now it says, because the law couldn't free you, because the law of Moses couldn't free you. What was the law of Moses? It was a written word from Genesis to Deuteronomy. There was a written word. And it says this word couldn't free you. It only enslaved you further. Because of that, what God did is God sent his own son in the form of a human being so that that son can now become the life-giving spirit who will set us free. See, when we, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, it's, it's, a, it's something that we don't really completely understand. Because the Bible says in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 45, you know, my father has been talking about this the entire week again and again. And, and he mentioned this. He said, Adam, when Adam, the first man, Adam, he was a living soul. Say it after me, Adam, he was a living soul. When God breathed upon Adam, what happened to Adam? He came alive. He became a living soul. But the last Adam, the second Adam, it says that he became a quickening spirit. He became a life-giving spirit. He was not just a soul, but he became a life-giving spirit. Who is this last Adam we are talking about? Jesus. We are talking about this Jesus and and bringing that into context to what Apostle Paul is saying. He says, so the law of Moses couldn't free you. The law of Moses couldn't set you free from the sins, from death, from pain, from sickness, from shame. The law of Moses couldn't give you any solution. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his son in in, in a human form, in in a form that the word now became flesh. See, the word, the written word, the, uh, the Torah, it couldn't help. So the word from heaven, it came down to become flesh in a form that you and I can partake of this word. Where Jesus would stand up and say, I am the bread of life. He who eats of me will experience eternal life. He will live forever and ever and ever. And it, and it says, so God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies that we sinners have. Read the next line with me. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Where was our sins overcome? In his body. Where is the whole process of breaking the chain of generational curses that has been coming down over our lives from generation to generation? Where does it happen? In his body. It's not in our body. You know, where does the transformation take place? In his body. Where does the, the, the breaking of the addiction happen? Not in your body, in his body. Where does the change of perspectives and mindset happen? Not in your body, in 
His body. Read it with me. And in that body, in that body, you remember this? God sent His Son in the body like you and I have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us. Now, your ability and my ability to walk in freedom will depend on how much we can be in communion with that body. That is why we cannot be able, we will not be able to bear fruit apart from us abiding in Him. That's why Jesus said, I, you abide in me and let me abide in you and then you will bear fruit. You, you and I, we cannot be a fruitful Christian if we are not in connection with our life-giving spirit. He is the life-giving spirit. We cannot experience a relationship with God without Jesus. We cannot experience what it means to have the Holy Spirit in our life if we don't depend on Jesus. My sin, it was not broken in my body, it was broken in my sickness. It was not carried in my body, it was carried in his body, my shame, my pain, my, uh, my, my, my sickness that has been coming down generationally, all of it was broken. It was ended. There was a declaration made that this is it. Nobody can go here further in his body. And the more that this body of Christ communes with that body of Christ, there is going to be a transfer. There is going to be a change. You, you should know that, see, you know, so many times we depend on God for breaking, uh, uh, you know, patterns of sins, but we don't depend on God in the same way for sicknesses. But the Bible says He forgives all my sins and He heals all my sicknesses in the same statement. So if it is true that He forgives all my sins, it is also true that He heals all my sicknesses. So it's necessary that we believe that in his body we have healing in his body so it's not just it's not just spiritual help that god wants to give us it is even emotional physical every kind of help every area of our life god wants to help us and change us and transform us somebody say it out loud my sin, my sin. was broken in his body oh my 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 sickness was broken in his body my shame was broken in his body. My pain was broken in his body. Yeah. All the condemnation was broken in his body. Now all that you and I need to do is be in connection with his body. Be in, in connect with this life-giving spirit. And that's what we'll read about and understand how do we do that. Let's read verse 4. Yeah. Who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. What does the Bible say? God did this. What did God do? He, he sent His Son and He broke uh, the, the pattern in, this, in, in, this, in His Son's body. Why? So that the just requirement of the law. You know that the law has requirements for each and every one of us. All of those requirements was fulfilled in Jesus. When did, when did it actually begin? Right from the time when Jesus stepped into Jordan and he said, let this be done so that all 
requirements of the law will be fulfilled. Let it be done. In fact, John the Baptist, he, he was freaking out. This is for sinners. And Jesus, you're not a sinner. This is not supposed to be your place. But Jesus said, I know this is not necessary for me. But right now, I'm stepping into someone else's shoe. So that someone else can step into my shoe and live my life of freedom. So from the time, we, we may think that it is only when Jesus went on the cross that he carried us in. No. As long as he lived on the earth. From the time, in my perspective, theologians have different perspectives. In my perspective, it began the day that Jesus stepped into the river Jordan. Because right after that, you would see him getting tempted. Right after that, you would see him being tempted in different ways. And the Bible says that, uh, you know, Jesus, our high priest, he was tempted in all ways imaginable and possible. And that is why he can empathize with us when we go through the same temptations and when we go through the same trials. So I believe that the three and a half years, all through his life of, of ministry, he was tempted and tried. And, and, and that was the season where he carried our sin on him. He did this so that the just requirement of the law, everything that the law required of you and me, it was fully satisfied in Jesus, in his body, in his working for us, so that we do not have to follow our sinful nature anymore. Does it mean that there is no sin in us? No, there is still sin in us. But we do not have to follow that sinful nature anymore. We can. We are free to follow the Spirit. Amen? Let's understand what it means to follow the Spirit. What does it require us to do? What is the characteristics of a person who is filled in the Holy Spirit, who is led by the Holy Spirit? What do you need to do to be a, a follower of this Holy Spirit? Verse 5, he says, those who are dominated by the sinful nature, this is what they do. They think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, they think about things that please the Holy Spirit, that please the Spirit. It all boils down to the thoughts in your mind. It's, it's not about your church membership. You know, we would think if a, if a person is going to church regularly, doing all the right things, he's a spirit-filled Christian. No, Paul says all of that is on the outside. It all boils down to how much a person sets their mind, focuses, fixes their attention on things that please the Holy Spirit. That is a man that is led by the Holy Spirit. That is a man that is filled in the Holy Spirit. Not every tongue-talking Christian is filled in the Holy Spirit. I know a lot of tongue-talking Christians that don't really fix their mind on the things that please the Holy Spirit. It is... Trust me, even in our actions, in our behavior, in our outcome, there are times where we will not be perfect, where we will not have everything in place. But tell me, what is it that you're fixing your mind upon? If you're, if you're fixing your mind on your failure, you will end up in your failure. If you're fixing your mind on things that glorify God, things that please Jesus, things that please this life-giving spirit, then you and I, we, we are on the right track. It's all about where you will fit your mind on. It doesn't say, what do you feel like doing? Because some days we feel like worshiping. 
some days we feel like praying and other days we feel like cursing our neighbors other days we feel like kicking them down the stairs other days we feel like going on facebook and writing nasty things you know other days we you know so feelings is not how you determine how much you are filled in the holy spirit what do you set your attention on where do you set your gaze it says those who are dominated by sinful nature so there's a difference we'll have we will have sin in us we may make mistakes we may go wrong we may do sinful things but this is how i know if i'm dominated by the sinful nature or i'm dominated by the spiritual nature is that even when i sin is that even when i fail even when i go wrong i don't fix my attention on this and continue to enjoy this but i immediately take my gaze off of it and i keep my eyes back on jesus back on the things that please the spirit and i don't allow myself to remain in this muck anymore that i know how to transform my attention back to jesus back to the things that please the holy spirit look at your neighbor and say set your mind on the things of the spirit look at another neighbor and say you also set your mind on things that god enjoys things that please the holy spirit verse sits it says so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death so this sinful nature it can control your mind it is our choice if we let this sinful nature control our mind then that is going to lead in death that is going to lead in death in every way physical death financial death relationship death spiritual death in every way you will experience death you know the bible says that the enemy comes to kill steal and to destroy all of these characteristics will be part and parcel of your life because the more you fix your mind the more that you allow this sinful adamic nature to control your mind okay it's a nature on the inside of us you remember paul was saying there is a nature uh, of sin and there is a nature of the spirit and they are both at war with each other and he says this nature the more it ends up controlling my mind the more i will be attracted towards death and yet on the other hand the more i let the holy spirit control my mind i will be led to a life of life and peace this is a gospel of life and peace that i'm preaching to you but it is your choice what do you want do you want death or do you want life and peace what do you prefer do you prefer death and decay or do you prefer life and peace see on the outside it may be very easy for you to say oh yeah life and peace but it's 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 a hard work we'll read about it in in, in the next version it's hard work this this constant pursuit of keeping our gaze fixed on the things that please the holy spirit is a hard work it's not easy and that is why we need to depend on the holy spirit that's why we need to depend on jesus on the, the strength that he gives us to be able to accomplish that it says in verse 7 for the sinful nature is always it is always hostile to god the sinful nature because if you allow the sinful nature to control your mind where will you end up 
in death. The sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's law and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. I thank God for a church that desires to please God above everything else. We are not here to please man. We are not here to make money. We are not here to just enjoy life. We are here to please God. We are here to bring a smile on His face. We are here to show Him how much we love Him, how much our whole life is about bringing honor and praise to Him. But those who are under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you, you're not like that. You're not controlled by your sinful nature. You were once upon a time when the devil owned your life. But now that there is a transfer of ownership, now that someone else owns your life, the life-giving spirit on the inside of you is very powerful. Read this verse with me. It says, but you, you're not controlled by your sinful nature. You're controlled by the spirit if you have the Spirit of God living on the inside of you, you're not controlled by what? The sinful nature. See, I'll, I'll change the terms a little bit here because some of us, we may feel that whatever I'm doing now as a Christian is right because I'm being controlled by the Holy Spirit, no? So I can say whatever, do whatever, and it is all the Holy Spirit. That's not what it means. Uh, the, the other translation for the same word the, the NIV translation of this same verse says, you are not in the realm of the flesh anymore. You're now in the realm of the spirit. Do you understand? What he's trying to say is that till now, before you got saved, before you were a child of God, before this life-giving spirit came on the inside of you, you were in the realm of flesh. All you could see was things of the flesh. All you could do was based on what you could think and, and feel and touch and see. But now you're no longer in the realm of the flesh. Now you're in the realm of the spirit. Now you, you have access to information that you didn't have in the realm of the flesh. Now your choices ought to be different. Now your responses need to be, uh, you know, different. Your, your, your behavior, the way that you, you make certain choices, it has to be in proportion to the realm that you're living in. Because the Bible says you're no longer controlled by your flesh, controlled by your sinful nature. You're not a slave to the work of the enemy anymore. Now you've you got to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So you should remember, the Holy Spirit will not control you against your will. The Holy Spirit will never force himself on you. The Holy Spirit will never force his will on you. That is why some of us will not make it to heaven. Even though it is God's desire to take us there, he will not take us there forcefully. If we are willing to go, if we are willing to walk, then he will open the door for us. But he is not going to force us into heaven. He's not going to take us to heaven against our will, against our desire. He says that you are controlled by the Holy Spirit if you have the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, which means that the Holy Spirit will constantly keep this choice before you to choose, to desire Him, to, to walk with Jesus, to experience the victory that He wants to give you. He will constantly open the doors for you to experience the things of the Spirit. 
but it is still your choice if you want to experience it or if you want to walk away from experiencing it's our choice but the holy spirit will keep opening doors for us and it says and remember that those who do not have the spirit of christ living in them they do not belong to christ at all but christ he lives within you so even though your body will die because of sin the spirit he gives you life because you have been made right with god so all of us we have to remember this fact that the moment we accepted jesus into our life christ his presence lives inside of us how through the presence of the holy spirit jesus said i'm not going to leave you as orphans but in some time i am going to come back to you he was not referring to his his second coming he was referring to the presence of the holy spirit who will come he he's saying i'm not going to leave you as orphans i'm going but i'm not leaving you all by yourself to fend for yourself to fight for yourself to provide for yourself but in a little while the comforter will come he will be in you and he will be with you jesus he said i am only with you but this person that is coming there is a different characteristic that he has he will be with you and he will also be in you go and read this in detail in john 14 15 and 16 jesus is introducing the person of the holy spirit to us and he says this presence of christ he lives on the inside of us and though your body will die because of sin your body will be attracted to death your body will be attracted to failure your body will naturally want to sin all of that will happen in your body he says this life giving spirit on the inside of you he will keep drawing you into a different direction if you didn't understand let me read the next verse it'll make more sense verse 11 he says the spirit of god the holy spirit of god who raised jesus from the dead Do you remember what happened on Easter Sunday? The spirit of God returned back to the body of Jesus. On the cross, he gave up his spirit. You remember that? On the cross, he gave up his spirit. He said, "It is finished." He cried out loud, "It is finished," and he gave up his spirit. But something happened on the resurrection Sunday. Is that that spirit returned back to the body of Jesus and that and and this body of Jesus was raised back from the dead now this body of Jesus was a, the glorified body it was a body that could pass through closed doors it was a body that could do impossible things and the bible says the same spirit of god that came into the dead body of Jesus and raised him back to life that same power that same spirit that same grace that same anointing what will he do will now read it with me that spirit of god he lives in you and just as god raised jesus from the dead he will what he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you i i want you to understand this well i want you to get the power that is hidden in this scripture okay it says the spirit of god this is the same spirit of god who raised jesus from the dead and this spirit of god he lives inside of you 
Now this spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead with immense power, great power that was released when Jesus resurrected from his grave. It says that same spirit of God will now give life to your mortal bodies. So don't ever come and tell me I cannot do it. Don't ever tell me that it is in my body too. Or it is, this is how my nature is. I just cannot control myself. Oh, you can. You can. You have no idea of who lives inside of you. You have no idea of of the power that is deposited on the inside of you. No, nobody who has tapped into this power, nobody who who has understood the revelation of how great this power is, will ever be afraid of anything else. We'll read how Paul would say, and express his confidence in later verses. But this is the basis. He's saying, now that the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of me, now that that same power lives on the inside of me, this power is going to give life to my mortal body. My mortal body, it is attracted to sin. But now this power is going to give life to my mortal body. My sinful body, my sickness-filled body, my shameful body, all the characteristics that I have inherited from Adam. Now, this Spirit of God will take over, will, will give me life, will fill my body with life and peace. And now the more that I yield to Him, the more this life and this peace will manifest in and through my life. And somebody said an amen. amen. Verse 12, it says, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you because He's giving life to your mortal bodies. And He says, verse 13, if you live by the dictates of your sinful nature, you will die. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. Which means this is not possible in my flesh, in my ability, in my willpower, I cannot put to death the deeds of my sinful nature. Read that one more time. But if through the, the second line, but if through the, through the power of the spirit, you put to death. If you, if you, if you meditate 10 times, 20 times, and you keep saying 10 times over in your head, that will not happen. But the more you tap into the power that is already on the inside of you, the more you will be able to put to death, put to death the deeds of your sinful nature. This this work of putting to death the deeds of your sinful nature, that is hard work. That is not easy. That is painful work. Because the Holy Spirit is going to kill parts of you which was so natural for you as you grew up. And people like that about you. People like that you could joke like that. People like that you could talk like that. People like that you could spend money like that. But now all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is killing those sides of you. Now all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit is trying to teach you how to put to death those areas so you can be alive to God in certain other areas. Now it's going to be very hard. It's going to require for your, for your identity before people to change for your expectation, the obligation that people have from you, the expectation that you have from yourself, your own dreams and desires, all of them sometimes may need to go through a, a process of metamorphosis, a change, a transformation, so that, so that we can 
we can see the life of God so that we can truly live. This is what life truly is. This is what peace truly is. Peace, life and peace is experienced in Christ Jesus. All other life is only a superficial life. It is, it is not, it is not from, it is, it's not coming from the inside. It's just life that is on the outside and before you know, it will burn out. Before you know, if, anybody whose bank account doesn't have money coming in, but there is constant withdrawal, what will happen? At some point, it will deplete, it will run out, you will be bankrupt. That's what happens. See, when, when you and I, when we got saved, when we were born in the natural, there was a deposit of life already that came into us. Okay, and now all through our life we are withdrawing on that deposit. And one day that deposit will run out. But the, that is where you and I, we are different. We have a life-giving spirit. Now we are not just a living soul, we are also a life-giving spirit. Like Jesus. Now, no matter how much you withdraw, I still have more to give. This is true life. This is true peace. This is, this is what... This is what, what the, so, the King Solomon, he wrote about in the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, he has planted eternity in my heart. Not, not 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 80 years. He has planted eternity in my heart. He says, but if through the power of the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, then you will live. Verse 14. Are you ready for this verse? One of my most favorite scriptures in the Bible. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God, they are the children of God. So many times I've read this verse and I've thought, okay, I have to be led by the Spirit of God, which means that uh, the Holy Spirit is now going to tell me which turn to take, which move to make, what, where to go. Now, all of that is true. The Holy Spirit does help you like that. But in the context of this, the Holy Spirit is teaching me how to put to death the deeds of my flesh. It is not talking about how to do ministry better. He's not talking about how to make more money. He's talking about how to put to death the deeds of my flesh. Uh, Romans chapter 8 verse 14 in the Amplified Bible. For all who are allowing themselves to be led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. I like this because he's not saying all who are just, you know, talking in tongues, they are sons. He says all who are loving themselves, which means there is a constant permission that I need to give to the Holy Spirit to put to death certain areas of my life. Rather than resisting it, rather than, you know, rejecting it, I have to submit to it and say, Lord, here I am. Take the coal, cleanse my heart, cleanse my lips, cleanse my mind, take the coal, do your new work on the inside of me. For all who are loving themselves, come on, lift your hands and say, Lord, I love you. I love you, access into my heart. I love you, access into my mind. I love you, access into my character. I allow you access into my relationships. 
I allow you access into the words that I speak. I allow you access into my going out and coming in. I allow you access into my career. I allow you access into my ministry. I allow you access into my home. I allow you access into my church. I allow you access into my city. Oh Lord, I allow you access in every fiber of my being. I allow you access so that you can lead us, so you can, you can control us, you can take over my life completely, Lord. It says, for all who are loving themselves to be led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And somebody said an amen. amen. Verse 15, so you have not received a spirit that makes you a fearful slave, which means the Holy Spirit did not make you a slave. It has to be willingly allowed. The enemy may do that. If you give him access, the enemy may make you a fearful slave. But the Holy Spirit doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit will wait for you to give him access. This life-giving spirit, he will wait till you say a yes. So we are willing slaves. You remember we talked about slaves to righteousness we are not slaves because we are afraid of punishment in hell we are not following jesus because we are afraid of losing money we are not following jesus because we are afraid of falling sick we are not following jesus because we just somehow want to get rid of this bad habit in my life no we are not following jesus because we are fearful of what we will lose otherwise we are following Jesus because we want Jesus. We love this Jesus. We, we want to serve him. That has become our desire. Amen. He says, now we have not received the Holy Spirit that makes us fearful slaves. Instead, we received God's Spirit when he adopted us as his own children. When did that happen? When we put our faith in Jesus. There was a there was a adoption that happened another translation would say a spirit of adoption came upon us another translation would say the spirit of sonship came upon us not a spirit of fear but a spirit of sonship a spirit of adoption came upon us so what so that now you and i we are his children now we call him abba father this holy spirit comes on the inside of us what is the first thing he does inside of us he changes the way we address God he's no longer God to us he changes the equation to father the first and the foremost thing the Holy Spirit does on the inside of us because he's a spirit of adoption he is a spirit of sonship the first thing he does is to change your identity from just being a creation of God to becoming a son of God now you cry out, Abba, Father. Now you sing, Abba, Father. Now you declare, Abba, I, I belong to you. You, you. you are the one that I'm living for. If, you, if, you're, if you're able to sing that from the inside of you, it's because the Holy Spirit is doing that. Without the Holy Spirit, we can't call him Abba, Father. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. Now this Holy Spirit, He comes on the inside of us. He, he transforms our identity. 
then he begins to work on other areas he he tries he teaches us how to put to death our sinful nature he teaches us how to be led by him he teaches us how, how to focus our mind on things that the holy spirit likes so that he can lead us into a life of uh, in, into this into this experience of life and peace verse 16 for his spirit what happens his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm to confirm to testify to witness to to give us that assurance that we are now god's children so you don't need assurance from the church that you're a child of god if you're waiting for an assurance from somebody outside to tell you you're a child of god you will fail that is why jesus did not need the devil to testify aha you can turn water into wine or you 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 can turn stone into bread you are truly the son of god he didn't need the devil to testify he had a voice on the inside of him that told him who he is so you don't need the people around you to say wow what a good christian you are do you have a do you have a spirit inside you do you have a voice inside you because it says our spirit and god's spirit what happened it says his spirit joined with our spirit if you read 1 corinthians 6 verse 17 paul would say it like this he says for those who have joined themselves with christ have become one spirit with him which means on the inside of us there's no two different spirits see let me explain we have a body soul and spirit yeah but the moment the holy spirit comes inside of us prithi spirit and the holy spirit becomes one spirit now nobody can find prithi or holy spirit it is one spirit on the inside of us and and this spirit it's become one it's been fused into one this spirit it affirms to us the spirit is testimony it's a testifying fact that you are not an orphan anymore that you are not not wanted anymore that you are not all by yourself anymore now now all the days of your life you belong to him he has claimed you nobody can separate these two spirits nobody can disconnect these two spirits nobody can no no power of hell no no demons no darkness nothing can come in the in in between this relationship it's a spiritual relationship it's deep in your spirit inside your spirit the holy spirit comes in and he says hey now you are no longer a fearful slave now you are no longer obligated to the law or to the flesh now you are a child of god now you are uh, able now you are qualified to call him abba father hallelujah verse 17 it says and since we are his children we are also what heirs because we are children we have to have access to what belongs to him servants don't get access to property but children they get access to the property of their parents says because we are his children we are also his heirs we did not come for the property we came for the father but now that you have come now that you've been filled with the spirit of adoption now that the spirit of sonship has come upon you now you also are an heir in fact 
together with Christ, we are heirs of what? Of God's glory. You and I, we are heirs of God's glory. So every glorious situation Jesus has been through on, on, during his life here on earth is your and my portion. Not because we worked hard for it, not because we fasted for it, not because we prayed for it, but because it is our inheritance. Now, as long as I remain in the house as a son, as a child of God, I have access to that inheritance. That glory belongs to me. I don't have to pay a price. Now, it doesn't make sense. No parent would expect his child to save up to buy the inheritance from his father. You understand what I'm saying? You can save up to do whatever you want to do with your money, but don't save up to buy the inheritance. The inheritance is already yours. You remember the story of the prodigal son. The elder brother came and said, all this time I served you, I helped you. You never gave a small mutton biryani for my friends. But then the father said, didn't you know all that I have is? You could have taken it. You could have used it. Nobody stopped you, son. It was your lack of awareness of what normally, naturally belonged to you that stopped you from experiencing it. But today, somebody in BRC is getting this. Somebody saying, because I'm a child, I'm also an heir. Because I'm a daughter, I also have right to this glory. Because I'm a son, I have access to this riches. Verse, the same verse goes on to say, but if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. What is the suffering we are talking about? Many people will misinterpret this scripture to say, okay, now you have to fall sick. No, Jesus never falls sick. Jesus didn't fall sick. Jesus didn't sin. Jesus didn't live in shame. No, that's not the suffering we are talking about here. See, living a life of the spirit requires you to put to death the deeds of the flesh. It requires you to be, you know, misquoted, misrepresented by the people around you. That doesn't mean that you have to live in poverty anymore. You know, don't, don't think that just because you're poor, you're more spiritual. Your poverty doesn't equalize to spirituality. He says, if we suffer with him, if we suffer like him, then we will experience the glory that he has kept in store for us. So what do we have to suffer? We have to suffer the, the, the pain that is required to cut away our flesh. Put to deed the deaths of the flesh. Put to deed the old sinful nature. Allow the Holy Spirit to transform us on a daily basis. If he disconnects you from some people and they feel very bad about it, it's okay. You know, take it all in. That's the pain. Because of that pain, there is going to be a glory that you will experience. Because of that breakup, you will experience a marriage that is going to be more beautiful than that breakup. Because of that, because of that challenging situation that you had to go through for following Jesus, for obeying Jesus, God will bring beauty out of it. He knows how to give you a, a crown instead of your ashes. Verse 18, yet, read it with me, yet, what we suffer now is nothing. It is nothing. 
it is nothing compared to the glory that he will reveal to us later verse 19 for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when god will reveal who his children do you know that the, the trees around you are waiting to see you manifest your glory the world around you is waiting to see you manifest your uh, nature of being a son of God, your nature of being a child of God, your nature of being filled in the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit. The, the world around you, your city is waiting to see you manifest, to reveal who the real children of God are. Against its will, verse 20, all creation was subjected to God's curse. You know the story. I'm not going to go into it. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children to glorious freedom from death and decay. You know, there is going to come a day when even creation will be completely transformed. And all the death and decay that we see in the world around us, you know, the scientists, they are trying so hard to reverse the process, to stop the process, to decrease the speed at which the decay is happening. But it's not going to work. There is somebody who subjected the creation to curse against its choice because, you know, the creation was given into the hands of a man called Adam. And because Adam came under the leadership of the serpent against its will the creation also came under the subjection to death to decay but it says the creation will also join with us in glorious freedom from death and decay on that day on that future day see i told you this couple of times we have been freed from the penalty of sin when we receive jesus and we the the power of sin when we walk with him on a daily basis and there is going to come a day when the presence of sin will be wiped out of our life. And that is the day that Apostle Paul is writing about. And he says, on that day, creation will also be redeemed completely from death and decay. Creation will also turn around and uh, the creation during the thousand years, do you know the lion and the lamb will sleep together? That the bear and the cobra, they will house together. Children will play with snakes and there will be no, no problem, nothing to worry about it. And it says when a child dies in those days, he will be 100 year old. It's there in the, in the book of Isaiah. It's all in the Bible. If you've not read about it, you can read. I'm not talking about heaven. I'm talking about this earth, this, you know, inhabitable earth. The moment the presence of sin is taken away from our bodies, from the bodies of the children of God. The whole creation will experience a transformation. And creation will come to a place where it will no longer uh, uh, react wildly like it has been reacting all these last seasons. Verse 22, it says, For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So all the news that you see, yeah, when you see about a flood, you see about an earthquake, you see about all these natural disasters. What is creation doing? It's groaning. It's a sign of a, a groaning like in, in times of a childbirth. Verse 23. And we believers, we also groan. But we groan in a different fashion. How do we groan? He says, even though we have the Holy Spirit 
within us as a foretaste of a future glory. Let me explain this. This is very important. He says the Holy Spirit has been given as what? As a foretaste of the future glory. Meaning, it is already glorious. It is already beautiful. But all the glory that you and I experience today, the heights of the glory that we experience today, it is only a foretaste. It is only a, how do I say it? You know, when you go to uh, Baskin Robbins, they give you a, a, a taster. And you taste that, and some of us are wicked enough to just stand there and keep tasting. <laughs> give me all the, I just want to see which is the best one here. And we can do that with the Holy Spirit, by the way. You know, we can keep tasting more and more and more of Him. And the more we taste, the more we will see that the Lord is good. But the Bible says it's only a foretaste of the future glory. The, you still don't have the cup in your hands. You, what you are getting, all the glory we've been experiencing, especially in this season, yeah? It's just a foretaste. It's just a tiny glimpse of the greatness that is in store in the future. It says, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of the future glory, Okay, so it is the Holy Spirit that opens up that glory realm to us. Okay, it is not how many Bible verses you know. It is not your church attendance. It is not how religious you can be. It is your relationship with the Holy Spirit that will open up that foretaste of the future glory. He says, even though we have this Holy Spirit, we long for our bodies to be released once and for all from sin and suffering. And that day is coming. So we too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full right as His adopted children, including the new bodies that He has promised us. That day is coming when, when we will get a different body altogether, a transformed body, a changed body. In the twinkling of an eye, Paul says, our bodies will be transformed and, and we will take on a new body. A completely new body. In fact, the first people to experience that is the ones who have already died. We will have to wait and watch them being transformed first and then our bodies, it will automatically change. And, and I'm sure that this is a body where you can eat as much ice cream as you can and you'll not grow thick. I didn't want to use the word fat, so I just... <laughs> this is a glorified body. This is a transformed body. This is a body that will never perish. This is a body where sin is no longer a temptation for you. This is a body where suffering cannot hold you down. The Bible says we long for that. See, the gospel includes this. The gospel includes in us that hope, earnest hope for a beautiful, a better future. Sometimes we think that this is it, this is it, this is heaven. Everything that we are experiencing, this is it. No, this gospel requires you to have hope for more. It just gives you a foretaste of the future glory and expects you to wait with great anticipation for where God is going to take you. So when you see incomplete things in your life, remember that there is a, this is just a foretaste. I'm going to experience more. I'm going to enjoy more. I'm going to take part in a glory. That, that, that is so beautiful. I'm going to get the full right of being an adopted child of God. Verse 24. We were given this hope when we were saved. 
If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, then we must wait patiently and confidently. There are, there are three things that last. What are the three things that last? Faith, hope, and love. And, and what is the greatest of them all? Love, right? But faith and hope especially is necessary for us to walk here on earth. Faith is necessary for us to tap into what God has in store for us today. Whereas hope is necessary for us to see in the spirit what God has prepared for us tomorrow that we don't have access to today. There are some things which is going to remain not fully solved. The puzzle may not be complete all the time so that you understand there is more. There is hope. Always there is hope for a better, more beautiful tomorrow. We will, on this side of eternity, we will never reach a time where we can taste the glory in its entirety. We will, we, we always, even when we get to heaven, you know, we will continue, because faith, hope, and love, it lasts forever, right? So even when we get to heaven, there will be hope of more glory that you will experience tomorrow, more presence that you will experience tomorrow, more holiness, more righteousness, more mercy, more love that you will experience tomorrow. That is why angels, they don't get tired of worshiping God. Angels in heaven, what are they doing? It's endless repetitions. Why? Because they are seeing this God who is new, who is glorious. There is greater hope of him becoming more beautiful, of him getting more glorious. And, and that hope drives them to continue to stay on track to worship him. So when we come to worship in church, we're not just worshiping God with the, with the revelation of what we have seen. We are also worshiping with the hope of what we are about to see, what we are about to tap into, what we are about to engage in. He says, if, if, if we already have something, then we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit, He helps us in our weaknesses. We will have weak times, we will have weak seasons, but we have a Holy Spirit who helps us. We have a life-giving Spirit who helps us in our weaknesses. For example, there are many places where the Holy Spirit can help us. But for example, some of us, we struggle to pray. We don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray. He says, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit, what does He do? He prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. When we speak in tongues, when we groan in the presence of the Holy Spirit, these are words that we cannot explain. That's why Paul said, those who speak in an unknown tongue, they are not speaking to human beings, they're speaking to... There are two types of tongues. There's an unknown tongue and there is a other tongues. Other tongues can be translated and interpreted and it will become prophecies to other people. But unknown tongues, nobody understands. Unknown tongues, only God understands. Because he that speaketh in an unknown tongue, he speaketh to God, he speaketh mysteries to God. That is a language that only God understands and you're speaking the heart of God for your life. It is the Holy Spirit praying on the inside of you. So if you don't understand what you're praying, it's okay. Because you don't even know what you need. How will you pray what you need? The, the Bible says, but the Holy Spirit, He prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. 
And the Father, and my Father, my good heavenly Father, who knows all hearts, He knows what the Holy Spirit is saying. He doesn't need a word. He doesn't need a language to express my real need. He just needs to groan. He just needs to make a sound on the inside of me. And my Father in heaven, He understands my real need. It says, my father who knows all hearts, he knows what the spirit is saying. Even though there are no words, even though there is nothing that can be understood here, he knows what the Holy Spirit is saying. For the spirit, he pleads for us believers in harmony with God's will. Wow. The Holy Spirit is the perfect prayer partner. Your, your, your prayer partners in church, your pastors, they may pray something that may not be God's will for your life. But if you depend on the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, He will always pray God's will for your life. He will always pray what is best for you. He will always pray what God desires for you. And verse 28, and as a result of that, as a result of this, See, what is the first word in this verse? And? And. Which means that because of this, we know that God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purposes for them. See, we, we take this verse out of context, right? How many times have we told this to people saying, don't worry, all things work together it doesn't work together for everybody's good come on if you've lived life long enough you know that all things don't work together for good but for a child of God who knows how to depend on the Holy Spirit who knows how to pray in the Spirit he knows how to turn all truth all things back together for good a child of God who is exercising the power of the Holy Spirit who is walking in life and peace. He knows how to turn that dirty situation around for my good. He knows how to turn that painful situation around for my good. He knows how to turn that debt into my favor. He knows how to pray in harmony with God's will because God's will is to give you a life of life and peace. That is God's will. We read about it already, right? I'm not telling you something out of contents. God, God says, if you, if you are filled in the Holy Spirit, if you live according to the Holy Spirit, you will experience life and peace. And if you pray in accordance to God's will for your life, all things will work together for your good. Because you've been called according to His purposes. You're not called for your own glory but you've been called for his purposes for God knew his people in advance Ephesians chapter 1 says even before the foundation of the earth was laid he knew you he knew you so you you did not get saved in 1987 sorry that was my birthday birth year I, I don't know you did not get saved in 2010 or 2015 you got saved even before the foundation of the earth were laid. He says, God, he knew his people in advance. Before the devil laid eyes on you, before your parents saw you first time. Before you could 
ever become known in your friend circle. God knew you. And what did God do? He did not just know you, he chose you. Another translation says he predestined you. He predestined you. You know, before you go on a flight, you can pre-book your meals, right? Even before you uh, board on the flight, a, a meal is prepared with your name on it. The Bible says he predestined you. He pre-booked your whole life, whole package. The psalmist says this in Psalm 139. He says, every moment of my life was written in his book. Even before I was born, he predestined you. I know somebody, of, somebody needs to go out of this place feeling special. You don't need a boyfriend to tell you how pretty you are. You, you just need to read your Bible to know how special you are. Yeah. All the men, this is also for you. <laughs> you don't need somebody to tell you how good you are. Oh, I'm telling you this amazing love of Jesus. That he knew me before anybody else could know me. That he chose me, he predestined me before anybody else. What did he do it for? It says, so that his, he predestined me to become like his son, Jesus. Why? So that his son, Jesus, he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You know how brothers and sisters, they look alike? So the Bible says, he predestined us. The first, the only begotten son of the father is Jesus. And after Jesus... The Bible says he saw us as the many brothers and sisters to the firstborn, to the only begotten, to the one who, who, who will look like the only begotten, who will look like Jesus. That is our ultimate destiny. When people mock you, when people condemn you, when voices in your head tell you you are not worthy, you have to quote this to the enemy. I've been predestined to look like Jesus. <laughs> I don't care what my doctors say. I don't care what, what my reputation says. I don't care what, what, what my friend circle tells me. I know what my Bible tells me. I know what my God has planned for me. My God says I will look like Jesus. I've been predestined to look like Jesus. And he says, and having chosen them, he called them to come to him. All of us, we experience that calling. That may happen in 2010. 2015 or whenever you know whenever God called you to come to him you know the 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 choosing part the foreknowledge of God and the predestination of God that happened long ago but then he called you at a particular in the fullness of time he called you to come to him amen and it says and having called them there are some who God called, but they did not say yes to that call. But the ones in this house at least are the ones who have said a yes to that call, right? And it says to the ones who did say yes to the call, he gave them right standing with himself. Means he justified them. He, he made them holy. And he says, and having given them the right standing, he gave them his glory. He gave them, not that he will give them, he gave them his glory. What glory? The foretaste of glory through the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of us. Amen? And 
verse 31 onwards, the last few verses. Are you ready for this? He's concluding this chapter. Okay, I want us to read this together, okay, as, as loud as possible, with as much ferocity as possible. I want us to, I want us to declare this out loud. I'm not going to preach this next eight, nine verses because I've already preached this so many times. Last year, we did a whole series on this last eight, nine verses. Uh, more than conquerors, if you, if you remember, there was a whole series from 31 to 39. Uh, so I want you to go back and, you know, meditate on this more if you want to. But we'll all read it and we will all declare this together, okay? What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? What are the wonderful things? All that we read about, they are wonderful things. They are wonders. You know, sometimes we, we, we can get swept away with, with, you know, wonders that we will experience in the natural physical realm. But here we, we read about wonders that have been given to us from before the creation of the earth. Wonders that has been made available for us. And Paul says, what shall we say about such wonderful things as this? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? So a child of God who knows that God is for you will never be afraid of anything coming against you. A child of God who truly believes that God is for you. A child of God. That is why I said, Paul had that arrogant confidence. The Holy Spirit lives inside me. He gives me this uh, life in my mortal bodies and nobody can take me down. He had that arrogant confidence. I, I pray that that confidence will, will be released in this house today. We are, we are reading Apostle Paul's letters. Let his confidence become your confidence today. Let his courage become your courage today. Let his boldness be released into your life. If God is for us, if God is on my side, yeah, since he did not spare even his own son. In other words, let me explain what he means. He's saying, there was something called sin on the inside of me which was against me. Okay? God did not even spare his own son to fight that sin. Do you, do you know? What, what did he do? He, he gave his son. Why? So he can fight my enemy. If God did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, won't he also give us everything else? Come on. Now do you need to be worried about your rent not coming in time? If, if, if you feel your landlord is your enemy, go back and read this verse. It says, if God did not spare his son Jesus, won't he, won't he not provide everything else? Who dares accuse us when God has chosen us, when God has elected us, when God has predestined us, when God has, has a foreknowledge about us, when God has called us to himself, when God has justified us, when God has given us his glory, who dares accuse a child of God like that? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. Read it with me, for Christ Jesus died loudly for us and was raised to life 
before us and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us that's why he said if God is for us this is proof that God is for us this is the proof that God is for you you're, you're, you're waiting for proof you know on a daily basis God prove to me that you love me this is the proof that God loves you he says that Christ died for us he was raised to life for us he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for that is proof that God is for you that is enough proof to show how much God loves you he says can anything ever separate us from Christ's love does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death verse 36 as the scriptures say for your sake we are killed every day we are being slaughtered like sheep verse 37 no despite all these things all these things may come in my life but overwhelming victory is ours through Jesus Christ who loved us because he is the life-giving spirit he's the one living on the inside of me he's the one giving life to my mortal body and my situation and filling me with life and peace overwhelming victory belongs to this church Overwhelming victory belongs to us. Stand up for this next few verses. Come on, loudly. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from the God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from God's love that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing will be able to separate the union that my spirit has had with God's spirit. Thank you for tuning in for today's sermon. We hope this word has been a blessing to you. Do visit us at dreamingrevival.com for more information. You're welcome to tune in every Sunday for our live celebration service at 11am at youtube.com slash Pastor Priji. God bless you and have a blessed week.